You're listening to Second on the Mount, a podcast of sermons from Second Presbyterian Church, located on Mountain Avenue in Roanoke, Virginia. We are glad you found us. My name is Elizabeth Link, and I'm the executive pastor. Each week, we climb into the pulpit with a bit of fear and trembling. We hope and pray that what we have to say is true to God's will for the church and may encourage and challenge you on your journey of discipleship. Please rate and review if you enjoy. May the Spirit have some word for you in what we have to share. I'm grateful to my friend, the Reverend Taylor Lewis Guthrie Hartman, for the paper she wrote on Matthew 12 for our preaching group, By the Vine. Taylor is a pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Statesboro, Georgia, and she is coincidentally our guest speaker for the Trent Getaway this coming August. Her paper was a great help to me as I thought about and prepared for my sermon this morning. Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've added two scripture readings to what is printed in your bulletin this morning, but don't worry, I promise they are short ones. And the first is Genesis 2, verse 3. Hear these words for the church today. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that God had done in creation. Second Old Testament text from Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all the creatures in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. And finally, our New Testament reading, which may be found on page 787 of your pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to Jesus, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him or his companions to eat, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sometimes, when a pastor sits down to write her sermon, she thinks primarily of the listeners, those folks in the pews. Every once in a while, however, She writes a sermon not only for those in the pew, 
but equally for her own hearing. My husband, Chris, who's right down front and center this morning because it's where our five-year-old likes to sit, might be the first to tell you that I am not the most qualified, at least at this stage of life, to preach a sermon on Sabbath-keeping. I would counter that perhaps that's exactly why I need to preach it, if only so I can hear it. Sabbath is the stuff of our origin. It has been with us from the very beginning, from the genesis of creation. It was meant to be an eight, and within, and rhythmic, a part of our very selves, the rhythm of our time. Fast forward thousands of years and we get to the story of Jesus. His people and the people all around him have forgotten the Sabbath's pure intents. They've muddied things up a bit, and of course they have. They are human, and humans like to control things. After all, what feels more important or impressive than controlling time? Today, there are notebook planners and phone apps for organizing your time. There are books and podcasts and TED Talks on getting the most out of your time. It's a whole industry. What a superpower it would be if we could actually control it. Time. I have been known to wish that there were two of me, or I wish there were an extra day in the week when the whole world froze and I got to run around and catch up on things behind the scenes. You know, I kind of hate it when people talk to me about self-care. I feel judged and criticized because Sabbath can feel impossible. It can feel like we'll never achieve it. It's not something that can be on a checklist of things to do because it's not a thing to do. It isn't a thing that can be checked off, is it? We have plenty to do. I can't help but imagine how many of us spend all our precious free time running errands, catching up on laundry, catching up on emails and bills, caring for aging parents, for the lives of our children, our grandchildren. When the weekend is over and Monday rolls back around as it always does, we wish it could be Friday again so that perhaps we could finally get some rest this time. It's a vicious cycle, isn't it? I wonder... Are there messages of rest and Sabbath that drive you bonkers? All the Instagram posts and TikTok videos about self-care seem so draped in judgment. They can feel so privileged, so achievement-oriented, like Sabbath is a thing to do rather than a way to be. Holy rest. That's what we're after, not some pretty image-driven idea of a stress-free life, but something deeper than surface level. My friend Taylor shared this story with our preaching group this spring. One summer, while a student at Harvard Divinity School, the yard underwent grass reseeding. As you can imagine, Harvard Yard is a ridiculously manicured place. To prevent students and tourists from stepping on the fresh seed, landscapers put up tiny little posts with little holes at the top all around the perimeter of the yard with a lovely little rope strung through each hole. Every night, 
Taylor's husband, Blair, would go out and pull the rope as much as he could to loosen the end where he stood and to make the other sides of the rope taut. No longer a circle, yet the rope still had the same length. Blair thought this harmless little protest was hilarious, but Taylor could have crawled underneath a rock. She wanted to hide behind the shrubs because she was mortified. She is a rule follower. So while Blair was having his fun every night, Taylor was afraid that they'd get caught. What if someone saw him? You might know this feeling too. This bound up kind of feeling. This need to do things just right. This inner monologue of, we have to do X, Y, and Z, because if we don't, then... Is that how God intended Sabbath? Was it meant to be a rule of X, Y, and Z? Was it meant to be a rigid division of our days? That rope in Harvard Yard was the same length. He didn't break it. Nothing about its bounds shifted but its shape. Its shape was malleable. It could move and change and be reformed. We need Jesus' interpretation, not only for the sake of what he says, but simply that he says it. In Matthew 12, he provides space, another way, an example. I tell you, he says, something greater than the temple is here. The Sabbath rules of Jesus' day had, in some ways, made the law into a burdensome yoke. Ironic, given the Sabbath was meant to bring rest from the burden of work. Jesus comes along, allowing his disciples to pluck grain, engaging in conversation, knowing that the Pharisees could be watching him, waiting for him and his followers to mess up at any moment. And what does Jesus do? He pulls at that boundary and he stretches it to where it needs to be stretched for the sake of his disciples flourishing. He returns looseness to the law of the religious establishment. To the Pharisees, it looks like disobedience and chaos, but to Jesus, and I hope his disciples, this amoeba-shaped boundary looks like freedom to move around within. It looks like space to explore and be free. Is that not the gift of Sabbath, after all? The Oxford English Dictionary defines time as the indefinite continued progress of existence. But in Greek, there are two words for time, chronos and kairos. The Greek word chronos refers to time in a quantitative sense. It's where we get the term chronological. Chronological time is time that you can divide into minutes and days and years. It refers to time as a duration. It's what we mean when we ask, what time is it? Or how much time do I have? The Greek word kairos means time in a qualitative sense. Not the time that a clock measures, but time that cannot be measured at all. Time that is characterized by what happens in it. Kairos time is the kind of time you mean when you say, the time is ripe, or I had a good time, or it's time to tell the truth. Kairos time is what the author of Ecclesiastes meant when he wrote, to everything there is a season, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. 
Chronos is how we measure and count our days quantitatively. Kairos is how we experience, live, and understand our existence qualitatively. Jesus moved through time deliberately. If we were to plot his journey to the cross and the empty tomb, we would see that his travels made no geographic sense. He is on his way to Jerusalem, yes, but his path meanders this way and that, through Bethsaida and Cana, from Capernaum to Gennesaret, and Samaria to the River Jordan. The man did not stay still. And yet the whole time, the whole Kronos time, he was headed toward one place. I don't know about you, but I can feel like I am all over the map sometimes. There is so much to do, so much to produce. It can feel like my life lacks prayerful attention. And because my attention is so scattered, it can feel like I don't have enough time for the kind of Kairos moments Jesus makes possible here. It can feel like we're hungry for some grain, but we don't know how to stop and pluck it. Here's the thing. Jesus was set on a Kronos path because he knew exactly where he was going. Because he did, he had space for Kairos to break in and reform. Not only him, but the whole lot around him. Maybe the disciples thought they were meandering all through Samaria and Galilee, but Jesus knew what he was doing. Inside his timeline, inside his guided journey to Jerusalem, Jesus stretched his path with teachable moments. Same rope length, different shape. He let questions be asked. He let himself be interrupted. He let the holy seep in and pour out of him, loosing the chains of those bound up by time. I am the worst version of myself and the 15-minute push to get out the door on a weekday morning. I'm often running late, and in those last few precious moments, I remember that someone needed to brush her teeth, or I run back inside to get the homemade pink Play-Doh I forgot to pack for the class, or I lose my patience for one of a dozen reasons that are really not worth losing one's patience over. It's like a final sprint to make it from our driveway to this parking lot on a weekday morning. But sometimes, our daughter asks me, when we're blocks away from the preschool drop-off lane, to go see the lions, the two statues out in front of the beautiful home just up the hill on Mountain Avenue. This little detour can cost us precious moments. But on my better days, I take a deep breath and let my shoulders drop and circle up one more block to see those stone creatures and giggle with a preschooler in her booster seat at the hats or masks or flowers those lions are donning in a given season. You see, sometimes they're just plain lion statues, but sometimes they might be wearing an Uncle Sam hat atop their mane or an Easter bonnet, or they might be holding pots of clover in their front two paws. And the truth is, as harried as I am on some mornings, I am never sorry that we took the extra moment to go by and see them. Maybe I still have a lot to learn about self-care. 
I'm sure I could manage my time better to keep my Sabbath day, which is Friday, by the way, to keep my Sabbath day boundaries. I'm not saying I shouldn't. But sometimes kairos can happen inside the chronos. Sometimes the boundaries give and the shape changes. Kairosity comes all the time, all the chronos time. Minics like freshly plucked grains, there and ready to eat, if we but reach out and avail ourselves of the feast. There's an image I'd like to share with you all. In just a moment on the screen behind me, you will see the image of a screen print that hangs in the National Gallery of Art called Wheatfield by an American artist named Ben Sean from 1958. This screen printed piece of art holds wheat, of course, but if you look closely, there's a little surprising pastel rainbow of colors. But you have to pause to notice it and let your eyes focus. You have to pay attention. It's like Kairos in the Kronos time. As you notice and pay attention to this little gift of beauty and color, I invite you to receive this reading of Mary Oliver's poem, Invitation. Oh, do you have time to linger for just a little while out of your busy and very important day for the goldfinches that have gathered in a field of thistles for a musical battle to see who can sing the highest note or the lowest or the most expressive of mirth or the most tender. Their strong, blunt beaks drink the air as they strive melodiously, not for your sake and not for mine, and not for the sake of winning, but for sheer delight and gratitude. Believe us, they say. It is a serious thing just to be alive on this fresh morning in the broken world. I beg of you, do not walk by without pausing to attend to this rather ridiculous performance. It could mean something. It could mean everything. It could mean what Rilke meant when he wrote, you must change your life. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.